Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. The podcast brought to you by our friends at SaneBox.com. Take control of your email. Finally get to Inbox Zero with SaneBox.com. And save money, too. I'll tell you how coming up right now. Our uh, Editor-in-Chief, Steve Hayes, joins us. And Steve, in business, they tell you, prioritize, prioritize, prioritize. Tell us about the businessman-in-chief in in the White House and his priorities. Well, I think it's been interesting to watch uh, just really over the past week or week and a half, um, Donald Trump, as he goes into his first 100 days, the marking of his first 100 days, to try to discern what his priorities are, particularly on the domestic side. And I think we're getting to the point now where, where others are starting to grumble, certainly people on Capitol Hill, that he hasn't made clear what his priorities are. So on the one hand, you have the president uh, saying over the weekend that he's going to be pushing uh, the health care reform legislation to the floor of Congress this week, the floor of the House this week. On the other hand, you've got Gary Cohn, a top economic advisor out for the president, saying the tax reform is the, is the new top priority. He said that in an interview with my colleague Brett Baer on Fox News last week and has said it since repeatedly. You've got the government funding bill, which conservatives are already out, suggesting that uh, is is too friendly to Democrats. And then you had the president in an interview over the weekend saying that he's going to have a fully formed infrastructure spending bill uh, in Congress in the next two to three weeks. And I think the concern you're, you're starting to hear, particularly from conservatives, is that the president's trying to do too much at once, and he really needs to set priorities and say, this is my top priority. This is what we're going to focus on, particularly when it comes to to doing the kinds of major overhaul uh, pieces of legislation that he's talking about with uh, health care and tax reform in particular. Now, I can hear Trump fans grousing already, Steve Hayes. That's you never, Trumpers. He, he doesn't do something, you get mad. He does too much and you get mad. You're just never going to be happy, are you? No, look, I think I think that's a fair thing for them to say. And, you know, the, the other argument is you can walk and chew gum at the same time. I mean, he's got to do all of these domestic uh, policy initiatives and he's got to do foreign policy at the same time. So he's the president. He's expected to do a lot and to handle a lot. I think the problem is we've seen what mixed priorities, at least in these early stages, uh, what having so many priorities has done. I mean, you know, on Capitol Hill, there's a sense that the president isn't really invested in repealing and replacing Obamacare. And, and there's a, a good article on the Weekly Standard website by Chris Deaton that suggests the president doesn't even really understand what's in his health care reform uh, legislation. You know, Republicans on Capitol Hill certainly can see that. And if they sense that this isn't a top priority for the president, it's going to be that much harder to, to make, you know, iffy Republicans in the House of Representatives take a tough vote in favor of this repeal and replace uh, that they've been talking about for so many years. And then when it gets to the Senate, if it gets to the Senate, it's going to be hard to convert no senators, senators who are now skeptical of embracing uh, this repeal and replace plan, it's going to be hard to get them to yes, unless they think the president is fully invested and committed to taking this to to, uh, to its final ends. So if you were advising President Trump about prioritizing of the issues that you've mentioned, which one would you say, look, this is the winner. This is where you can you know, cover some ground quickly, give yourself some momentum, and then use that momentum and turn on the other uh, challenges. Well, I think I think you could have made a case at the beginning of the administration for doing either, you know, either tax reform first or health care first. I think the fact that they came out and did health care or tried to do health care 
and didn't succeed suggests to me that they ought to recommit to doing healthcare and doing it right, particularly because, as we've talked about before, this has been a top priority of Republicans in Congress for the past uh, seven years. I mean, it is it's the, the biggest political promise Republicans have made to the American people over the past seven years. President Trump uh, mentioned it repeatedly on the campaign trail, and I think it will be seen correctly as a major failure of the Republican Party if they don't pass, repeal, and replace, and put in its place something uh, that moves the country, maybe just incrementally, but moves the country toward a freer market in healthcare. Yeah, and that to me is something that's missing in the conversation is about incrementalism. And, you know, this is part of the kind of the talk radio ethos. Why can't they just go up to Washington and just completely rip out the old thing and just put in a new thing, you know, like changing a carburetor? And it's that's not how it works. You know, Reagan was great at this. He kept every step. He was making more progress towards where he was going. And he didn't worry about the fact that he didn't get 100% of what he wanted. What he did is he celebrated the pieces that he he's gotten. And I wonder... Setting aside President Trump, I think that advocates of free market health care are doing a crummy job of making their case for the individual elements that will move you that way, whether it's having more state control of Medicaid. So you can have some of these amazing you saw the miracle in Wisconsin. They've had a, you know some impacts with uh, welfare and Medicaid choice in, in Maine. Focus on that or whether it's the free market part of you're absolutely right. This doesn't get us to free markets, but it does create more shoppers, more incentive, more choices. And that over time is the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they could be making that case. They should be making that case. And, and certainly the person who should be making that case more than anybody else is President Trump. Um, having said that, I can understand from the perspective of, of somebody who believes in, in free markets and healthcare uh, that, that this is not what many conservatives had hoped for over the years. I mean, when, when people talked about repeal and replace, I think there was the sense that, that it would be for more, Obamacare would be more kind of ripped out root and branch and and um, the replacement would be much more uh, free market friendly. But I do think that Republicans on Capitol Hill are taking their cues from the White House. And when you've got a White House that's in effect saying, yeah, we really want this to be done, but we've got these other top priorities as well, it doesn't signal to Republicans on Capitol Hill, many of whom are facing potentially difficult reelection challenges, not many of whom, some of whom are facing potentially difficult reelection challenges uh, in 2018, particularly if President Trump's approval numbers remain low. You're going to them and saying, we want you to, to potentially take a really tough vote and uh, or vote for something that you're not enthusiastic about, but they don't yet know that the president is fully committed to making this happen if they, in fact, take that tough vote. That's a, that's a hard spot for those members to be in. Okay, Steve Hayes, I can't let you out of this podcast until I ask you about the White House Correspondents' Dinner. But before I do, I want to ask our listeners, have you finally found a way to dig out from under that mountain of email, to take control of your email box, to actually reach email zero instead of email 270,000 like Steve Hayes? You can do it with SaneBox.com. And I've got a two-week free trial for you, plus a $25 credit if you sign up at SaneBox.com slash Weekly Standards. So why haven't you? I think some of you, it's because you don't want to leave your current email. You don't want to learn a new email system. Well, guess what? You don't have to. SaneBox.com works with your own email. And I know I have a Google email for work stuff. I have a personal Outlook email for personal stuff. And SaneBox.com works with both. It just makes your email that you have now work harder, work smarter. It trains your email to work for you. Only the stuff you want to see 
ends up in your inbox. Other stuff ends up in easy-to-find archives. And some stuff goes straight into the black hole because you never want to see it. And SaneBox knows. And you don't have to worry about it. So what are you waiting for? Visit SaneBox.com slash Weekly Standard. Try it for two weeks for free. You got nothing to lose. And then you're going to love it. And then you're going to want to buy it. And you're going to save 25 bucks because you went to SaneBox.com slash Weekly Standard. Okay, I can't let you off the uh, podcast here, Steve Hayes, without talking for a second about the uh, correspondence dinner here in Washington, D.C. And more importantly, your reaction to two hours of the media giving themselves carpal tunnel syndrome and tennis elbow, patting themselves on the back for, and I love this, the bravery of standing up to Donald Trump. Steve Hayes, I've been thinking of trying to think of something that requires less bravery than telling a room full of Washington liberal journalists that you hate the Donald. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I had a horrible, horrible night uh, on Saturday night. I, I watched my Washington Capitals lose 6-2 to two to the Pittsburgh Penguins, <sighs> dropping their second game yep. in a row on home ice. This is a perennial problem if you're a, a Capitals fan, which is the only Washington team that I've adopted since I've been here. Um, it's hard to imagine a worse night. Um, but at least I wasn't at the white house correspondence dinner. Uh, so I had that sort of to, to pick me up when I was sad about, uh, the capitals and their losing. Look, it's, I mean, that's what the dinner is in effect. I mean, I, I don't, I've been to the dinner, um, several times. I don't think I've been in the, in the past decade, not really my scene. I, I find it a bit much when you have, journalists celebrating other journalists just as i find it weird and crazy that you have hollywood celebrating hollywood the way that that they do with their dozens of of award shows um the 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 self-congratulatory aspects of it are are really sort of silly and probably could be done away with but worse than that is the notion that free press is under <laughs> assault from donald trump you can think donald trump talks to anybody he does interviews for like you know uh, balls about uh, excuse me blogs about you know peewee football i mean the you know he what's the old joke about you know he opens the refrigerator the light comes on and he does five minutes i mean this guy is the most media accessible media open guy ever as president and they're whining about we're under assault oh please it is i i can't imagine a single american looking at what they were doing and having any reaction other than a mild wave of nausea yeah i guess i'm i'm mostly with you on that on the other hand i mean you know the president does routinely go after journalists who are just doing their jobs and while on the one hand i think it's excessive for them to celebrate themselves for doing their job every day on the other hand i don't think they should be denigrated for just doing their job every day and that's what he does and he you know he takes some very good news organizations and very good individual journalists and calls them fake news and beats them up and you know he's done that to me in the past and and you you let it roll off your back and, and try not to take it too seriously but I think there, there is a point at which when he's delegitimizing the news media broadly understood um, that it does become somewhat problematic. I mean, people really don't know where to turn and, and who to believe uh, on some of these things. Now, having said all that, the news media have done a pretty good job of, of delegitimizing themselves over the years. Um, you know, there's a reason that so many, particularly Republicans and conservative voters, are 
skeptical of what they've gotten from the mainstream media over the years. And I think there are, we could point to, to dozens of examples where they've um, let us be skeptical of what they're giving us. Well, it is absolutely a well-earned skepticism. Steve Hayes, thanks so much for joining us from the Weekly Standard for this edition of the Daily Standard Podcast. Don't forget, we bring you a new Daily Standard Podcast six days a week, including our Friday visits with Bill Crystal, and every weekend, it's the Confab. You can listen to them at weeklystandard.com. You can subscribe at iTunes or Google Play to make sure you never miss an episode. And now you can find them at ricochet.com. That's right. We are so delighted to be part of the Ricochet family as well. If you've never checked out ricochet.com, check it out today. Remember, if you have a comment or question about the podcast, you can email anytime, podcasts at weeklystandard.com. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Michael Graham.